Um, quick question, Chip. When we export this, do you want it as an MP3 or an AIFF or something different? I prefer AIFF. Wave okay. is fine. No problem. And um, if we have another Skype crap out, keep recording. Yes, sir. <laughs> wow, that sounded... Oh, wow. I, I, I sounded briefly authoritative there. Sir, like yes, sir. In schools. <laughs> I, I, brief, I briefly sounded respected. I'm not used to this. <laughs> Should we start calling you P.E. to make up for it? (laughs) (laughs) Hi, this is Chip Sutterth, and this is the Two Minute Time Lord podcast. And for the first time in a long time, it's time for a time dilation episode where we take the name of the podcast and we make it a colossal lie. So in this sense, I am Stephen Moffat today. With me is a fantastic panel. We're going to talk about Series 8, and we're going to look ahead into the future of Doctor Who because we're fans. We It's what we do. We make our entitled requests for what we want the show to be then we decide how the showrunner is going to screw us next year and then we figure out well okay this is what the show is really going to be like and i think it's going to work really well uh like i said great panel with me today um with uh everybody's got a podcast here although one of them one of them hasn't released an episode in a while mark let's start with uh graham burke from reality bomb hello graham Hello, Chip. Uh, it is so good to have uh, the voice of Doctor Who slash NPR podcasting with us this time. <laughs> we all do our best. Uh, and also um, from Doctor Who, the writer's room, and many other podcasts that don't talk about Doctor Who at all, it's Kyle Anderson. That's me. Hello. Kyle, I look forward to having you on, do, having you do something that you've only done one other time this uh this series when you were on radio free scar and it's actually talking about a doctor who that was recently made i know can you believe it it's uh uh i'm I'm not used to this so the whole time this this year i was writing my reviews of the season i was like should this be more you know 70s ish for me to actually be talking about it. <laughs> and where have you been writing your reviews of series oh well, yeah uh, i write for a site called the nerdist and so that's where all of those live And in the distance, you hear the sounds of rocket flames coming from the back end of a Hugo-shaped rocket. It's Lynn Thomas. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, Chip. Lynn, you and Michael, your husband, have been very, very busy recently with a little project. Which project is that? That would be the launch of Uncanny Magazine, which you can find at uncannymagazine.com. It's a science fiction online market. Uh, We pay professional rates. Uh, We do fiction, nonfiction, and poetry, uh, as well as having a monthly podcast. The first issue, the first episode of which is already available on iTunes and at other fine podcasting places, and uh, I encourage everyone to check it out at uncannymagazine.com. And who, perchance, is helping you with that podcast? And what other podcast are they on? Well, Chip, uh, it turns <laughs> great out question. that it's a great question. We have some very experienced podcast producers over at the Uncanny Magazine podcast, none other than Stephen Chapansky of Radio Free Scarrow and Erica Ensign of Verity. So um, the entire 
uncanny team has fanish activities related to Doctor Who somehow. It's a very fun <laughs> little factoid, but we're all in it somehow. Including uh, that interviewer of yours. That's right. Miss Deb Stanish is our interviewer for Uncanny. So uh, if you like the dulcet tones of Deb trying to rein people in on Verity, you may enjoy her attempting to wrangle authors on Uncanny. Nice. <laughs> and then uh, we have a ringer here. Uh, my good friend, Mark Goodacre, who, if you listened to what was one of my favorites, if not the favorite, uh, time dilation episodes of, uh, 2MTL, uh, several months ago, uh, Mark is a professor of New Testament history, so he knows from canon, and we spent a glorious time <laughs> geeking out about what Doctor Who canon means. Mark, welcome to 2MTL. Hi, Chief, and hi, everybody. It's, uh... Real privilege, privilege to be here. Wow. You may think it's a privilege now, but wait until we start mocking <laughs> you for your opinions. Uh, it is so good to have all four of you here with me on uh, as we are coming off of one of the most divisive, controversial, well-regarded, derided, challenging, thought-provoking seasons of Doctor Who ever. And that's and I'm talking in the last 51 years, not just the last 10 years. Series eight, Kyle. I'm going to start with you because you've been writing about it, but you haven't talked a whole lot about series eight. And now that it's in the rearview mirror, what did you think of series eight? Um, it's a weird one. Um, <laughs> that's all I say. No. Um, it's it is it's been strange to go week to week because some of the episodes uh, I will love immediately. And then when I watch again, we'll be like, actually I wasn't a big fan of that. And then some of them have gone the other way. Um, overall, I've really enjoyed it. It has been challenging. You haven't, re I mean, I haven't loved every episode or even ha hated it just outright. It's so it's been a lot of thought going into it and I don't like thinking in doctor who that's a joke, um, but it's, <laughs> that's as anathema certainly... as time travel in doctor who. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, I, I, overall, I do feel like uh, it was a success. Uh, Moffat's hands were, or fingerprints at least, were all, all over this one. I mean, his his name is on the bulk of the episodes uh, as a writer, um, which was, you know, even if he did something to some of the earlier seasons episodes, his name wasn't on them. But he co-wrote several and wrote some himself. And you could just feel like he was he was a part of this season. He, he had a, a plan and he was going to carry it out to the end. And I, I think largely he was successful at what he set out to do, which was to kind of shake things up, make things not as, um, as straightforward as they had been. So, um, I guess, you know, overall we'd have to call it a success for that purpose alone. It certainly got people talking about it. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, Lynn, um, I seem to recall, uh, just a few, uh, loud conversations on the subject on, uh, Verity every week. Loud conversations on Verity? <laughs> what the heck you say? Um, my take on this this season, and I should note that um, I have been doing the, the kamikaze version of podcasting by only watching each episode once before I go and comment upon it on the internet. Shock, horror, I know. Um, I think that this has been one of the most consistently strong series of Doctor Who in the show's history. Um, I'm not sure yet. I'll need to rewatch it all the way through now that all of the little bits and pieces that Moffat likes to lay through his trail of breadcrumbs to show us how clever he is are all laid out. I'll need to watch it through one more time um, 
to see just how well that seating actually worked. Uh, but from my perspective, this was one of the most consistently strongly written series that we've had of Doctor Who in terms of just episode to episode quality levels. Um, that's not to say that there aren't nitpicks. That's not to say that there aren't the occasional plot hole. Um, although the trucks are admittedly getting smaller when you drive them through the plot holes. Um, it, but from the perspective of introducing a new doctor, reworking a companion completely, introducing another companion, uh, in a, in a very interesting manner and, and working on the dynamics between those three people. This has been a fascinating season. Mark, what about you? Um, as the uh, non-podcaster among us, except for the NT pod, which hasn't <laughs> been released in how long, my friend? A few months now. Sorry about that. Bad, bad. Do you agree with the assessment that it's been a consistently written or consistently enjoyable yeah, series? I, I think so. I mean, the... I mean, here's here's my issue. Here's my issue with it. The formative experience for me in Doctor Who was aged seven, eight, something like that, when John Pertwee regenerated into Tom Baker, and I really, really struggled as a kid to get used to that because when you're that young and you've seen the Doctor on the screen and the Doctor is John Pertwee. You know, it's like, who's this clown that's turned up, you know, instead? And it took me ages to get into it. And I thought, I've thought all these years that this was a naive, childish kind of viewpoint. And then this comes along. I'm in my 40s, married man with kids. And I watch this thing and I get the sort of the same experience that I had with Tom Baker. And I'm kind of looking at Capaldi and I know it should be brilliant. I know I should be loving it. Everyone's telling me I should be loving it. And I'm looking at it. And I turned to my wife after the end of The Caretaker and I just said, I don't like him. I don't, I, for the first time in years, I don't like the new Doctor. And then I suppose I had a bit of a turnaround as I began to realise that I actually was the ideal viewer. In other words, I was the viewer that Moffat was kind of writing for because I think I was supposed to think that. I think I was supposed to find him a bit, infuriating so that then when we get to clara's complete meltdown i'm with her and i'm thinking good for you clara absolutely he is a complete git you know and then as we go along through it and then we get into to we get into flatline and he's doing his little dance and i i realize oh my goodness i'm getting addicted to him too so i kind of think this is a very long-winded way of saying i think i loved it <laughs> well, it, it it was a bit of a slow burn for some people. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I mean, it, well, and the other thing is, I always like to judge an episode. I mean, you know, one always talks, you know, where, where is one? And, and, and you know, how do you, how do you rate an episode? For me, the thing is this, what's the rewatch value? Do you really desperately want to watch it before you go out to work on a Monday morning? Do you, do you want to kind of sneak it on quickly while you're having your breakfast and doing other things? And with this series, I'd had that less than I've had for quite a long time. And that bothered me. But at the same time, although you don't immediately want to go back to those episodes after a while, and they've been kind of, they, they kind of, they work their magic on you. And now that we're kind of getting a little bit of distance, I'm beginning to think it might just be brilliant. What about you, Mr. Reality Bomb? <laughs> 
I, as a Canadian, of course, I, I, I feel like I need to be apologetic when I say I, <laughs> I, 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 I really love this season. And, and I, I look at friends I, I've, and, and dear people I, I know around me sort of having their issues with it. I kind of feel, I kind of feel therefore bad because I, I'm Canadian and therefore apologetic that, that I love this season. I think the season has been the best season of Doctor Who since the first season of the new series. I think that uh, I, I what I love about it is that he ha- is that Moffat has his sense of structure as he always has in his stories. But he's decided he suddenly realized that if I add emotion to this, you suddenly get the equation of structure plus emotion equals pow. And I think it's it's a really really incredible kind of experience. Um, and for me, I mean, this season I, I kept on. Saying saying this throughout the season for me it's the i've been able to say doctor who's the best drama on television period and for once i'm saying this because i really mean it and not because i'm doing it out of team loyalty i actually believe it and so yeah i i'm i'm totally on board for this season so let uh, me ask the whole panel then if we're all general in, in general agreement that this has been a really strong season um and i hand up i think it's my favorite moffat series why, why was this series so divisive? Why did it seem to provoke, in terms of passion, if not necessarily in terms of numbers, why did it seem to provoke so much outrage as it did adulation? I've got a theory. And the theory that I have is that there is a subset of Doctor Who fans. I'm not painting with a broad brush. I'm saying there is a subset um, who are not very keen on the notion of the Doctor not being likable, the companion not being trustworthy or likable. And when you put those two things together and the Doctor and Clara spark off one another, and then you have the foil of Danny, the only person this season who consistently tells the truth as he sees it. Um, even if he's wrong, he's telling the truth as he experiences it. What you end up with is a subset of, fa- of fans who are really kind of put off at the notion of the Doctor isn't a hero. Clara isn't a hero. Danny's not even really a hero. He's just an honest soldier who had a really, really bad experience that scarred him for life and is trying to cope with that. So I think that when you have your three core characters in a, in a drama where we had a run of doctors who were working their way through Gallifrey and PTSD, but were heroic most of the time in some aspect... Um, and we're trying to be liked by the audience. I mean, you know, the, the doctor kept getting younger and cuter, in part in an effort for the Earthlings to like him more. Um, to have suddenly a tetchy doctor who goes back to Pertwee, who goes back to Hartnell, who doesn't care if you like him. He really doesn't care. Who's busy being Scottish all over the place and just <laughs> cranky. He's cranky. I think that's off-putting for a certain subset of folks who may not be as um, as well-versed in the First Doctor experience or who just want their heroes really to be straight-up heroes. And and when the Doctor refuses to fill that role, they get grumpy. I think that's right. I, I agree with all of that. And I think also coming off the back of the 50th, there was something about the 50th that was just exultant. It was triumphant. It was, I mean, you find very few people that genuinely disliked the 50th. All right, well, you know, the, the Christmas episode, not, so much for lots of people, but the 50th we just loved. And this just was so downbeat compared to that. And it was it was so different from, you know, almost a decade of New Who. And I think that probably played into things a little bit. But that, I think, is why I'm coming around to it so much, because I like the fact that we are... 
it's it is so very different it felt different i didn't think moffat could pull this off i thought we would simply get the same basic treatment again and we didn't we got something excitedly different so i think i think that's i think that's good i think it's um i think it's kind of I, I, Mark and Lynn have touched on something I think that I've, I've been struggling with because I really like the season. I've been kind of confused too. My feeling is that it's there's a certain syndrome in fandom where I think it's almost producer fatigue. I think I think fandom will only sort of abide a producer for maybe two years and and then they start and then they start getting roving eyes towards you know Toby Whithouse or whatever. Um, and I think we did it under Russell and suddenly people are saying oh you know maybe they, I, you know they got to the end of they got the end of the Martha season they're like going, oh maybe it's time for Moffat to take over. And I feel like they do it with 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 Stephen and I think you know when Abby Morgan takes over as producer in in five years time we'll be all saying oh you know i think i think i think it should be peter rumnick you know it's i I think i think there's this kind of i think there's a kind of you know attitude that you know we just don't and i I think that's a shame because i i think in some ways if i did a blind taste test on this season and not they can actually do that i almost feels like a different producer is producing Mm -hmm. the show right now Mm -hmm. and and like and I, yeah. and I and that's one of the things I'm really loving about it this season is that it really feels like a different kind of Moffat. I feel I feel like Moffat kind of took his cues off of Sherlock series three and realized, hey, if I really add emotion to the kind of writing I'm doing, I can do something really special. And I think that's a really different kind of thing. And I think Brian Minchin's influence has been very pronounced as well as as, as the other exec. And so yeah, so I think it's a bit of bit of producer fatigue plus you know and but it's but intention with what is a very different kind of. Pro- production style yeah i agree with that and, and i think the other thing that they i mean along with the emotion the thing that uh, steven's added this season has been believe it or not giving both main characters an arc which yeah. just seems crazy um you know clara's had an, had an arc with her little you know half season in series seven but it was mostly a kind of a mystery the doctor didn't know who she was um turns out she was just a person um but now she actually has something of an arc she has a life beyond just traveling with the doctor but she doesn't know if she wants to keep it she is it's slowly becoming the doctor until the the last episode she declares that she is the doctor and we believe her she you know she she acts and is basically exactly like the doctor by the end whereas the doctor the 12th doctor has to go through the whole season trying to figure out who he is he says it right in the beginning he doesn't know what kind of man he is um and and in uh, into the dalek he doesn't know if he's a good man and it takes the whole season for him to figure out what kind of man he is too um and, and it's so it's this it's this you know and sparking off each other was a a big part of that and you know the companion and the doctor not getting along people don't like to see that you, you know for more than an episode or whatever because there there are the archetypes the, the doctor has to fall into one or one of a few categories of type of doctor but the companion almost always has to be his voice of reason um but if the companion is kind of you know mad at the doctor or is kind of under the spell of you know the addiction of traveling with the doctor she she's not going to be trustworthy either and so that's you know where danny comes in but danny of course has his own sense of what he wants which is for clara to be with him so it's it everybody has a very clear idea of what they want and where they're going um and the stories by and large were different uh to everything that had happened before and and the doctor and that's probably where Moffat's you know fingerprints came in that he, he was making every episode as different from the last seasons as possible uh and people don't like that much change it was you know drastically different and so I do think a lot of people were just kind of you know put off by just how different it was um 
even though you know uniformly as we've all been saying it's 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 gotten back to the kind of storytelling that we've wanted Moffat to do since series five yeah and as, as a matter of fact I think Moffat's first season probably very cannily at least in the beginning you know I, I've uh, I think the eleventh hour is one of the best RTD stories that RTD never did. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It, it, it was a fairly seamless transition. You changed your um, lead actor, but it didn't feel like an an entirely different show. And then all of a sudden, this year, it did feel like an entirely different show. And it, it, it you can't entirely lay that uh, at the feet of Peter Capaldi. No, certainly not. I think that. He's a different type of doctor, but if they'd have just plugged Capaldi's doctor exactly the way as he was, then you would have gotten the type, robot of Sherwood. Sorry, that's exactly it. Yeah, I mean, it's basically mm-hmm. is that is that is the one episode of this season. Looking back on it, that you could just take out, show somebody who's never seen the show, and just be like, "This is kind of what Doctor Who is like." It's not what this series is like. You're not gonna, you know, you couldn't, you know, introduce somebody to Doctor Who with robot of Sherwood, and then. They'd be like, oh, I like these characters. What's the next one I should watch? Not anything from Series 8. You can't watch Listen. You can't watch, you know, Flatline or, or Kill the Moon or something like that right afterwards because that's going to be – that's going to throw them off. So um, I forgot where I was going with that. But, yeah, it's – it. you could take the Doctor, put him in last season, and it would basically fit fine. But this whole – everything was constructed to change the, the status quo. Um, and that's, you know, that's – why we're talking about it. that's why it's so interesting that's why we're thinking about it all the time so in that sense is it too facile and i'll ask this of everybody is this too is it too facile to say that this was colin baker's first season done right <laughs> no absolutely absolutely not i think that was actually part of the aim honestly um i, I just considering that colin baker's first season is fundamentally the sixth doctor and, and perry fighting all the time constantly with quipping and a really high body count. Yeah, I think this is an attempt to to do the version of the Doctor that Colin Baker thought he was playing at the time, but didn't really get to play until he started doing big Finnish audios. I think it's too facile. I, I really genuinely, I really genuinely don't actually see the comparison. And and I've heard many make it, but and 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 I do think I do think Lynn makes a very good case. I I I just see it. I, I see it more. I see. I see this doctor being much more complex. It's you know. I, I was actually just watching the Twin Dilemma, actually, and and, oh, I'm, and, so sorry. and I'm sorry. I know. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> Why podcast would you re- do that to yourself? Podcast research. Someone actually wanted to do it on Gallery of the Underrated on Reality Bomb, um, but um, <laughs> that's neither here nor there. Um, but and 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 it's interesting because I think I think what the season is doing is much is a much more kind of complex idea of the Doctor. I don't think the Sixth Doctor would ever say even in the Big Finish incarnation just simply ask outright, you know, am I a good man? Because because I don't think the sixth doctor has that kind of self-awareness and doesn't have that kind of and doesn't have that kind of person that doesn't have would never show that kind of insecurity to anyone. And I think I think that's the interesting thing that makes makes Capaldi's doctor really really incredible is that he has that sort of he has that sort of insecurity but he also has that sort of you know that sort of stay the hell away from me kind of kind of kind of quality too. I I like that. I like that. I mean, the, the other issue with this as well is that 
Colin Baker is a perfectly good 1980s BBC TV actor. Peter Capaldi is a legendary actor. I mean, he is so far <laughs> superior that even if you gave even if you gave Colin Baker the kind of material that we've got, we couldn't have this series. What makes it so good is that you you, you just stare at Capaldi. You, you, you're looking into his eyes and you're thinking, what are you thinking? And I found that actually quite moving. And that lasted right through to the end. I mean, right through the, the, that. The, I mean, the hug right at the end of Death in Heaven, where you look into his eyes. I actually found myself getting really emotional. I mean, to look at someone's face and to be finding yourself getting emotional, it's not going to happen with Colin Baker going on about carrot juice. It's just, you know, it's a, it's a, we're, we're dealing with different phenomena there. I think that when uh, Stephen Moffat took over, uh, a lot of fans were, a lot, a lot of old school traditionalist fans particularly, were looking forward to finally getting an alien doctor, finally getting a doctor who is not terribly emotional. They thought that they were going to get that with Matt Smith, and they didn't. They thought that they were getting that with Peter Capaldi, and I don't think they did. He was not good at hugging in the beginning, but at the end, he's not good at hugging because um, he's, he, he, because he says he doesn't trust hugs because you can't see the other person. I think that this is a doctor with extraordinary emotional intelligence. Um, and I say that as sort of setting the table for the four of you. Uh, what kind of doctor was Peter Capaldi's? Well, for one thing, he, he's somewhere on the autistic spectrum, Spectrum, I think. The, the scene not long after the hug where Clara beautifully expresses what it's been like to travel with the doctor. And he's only able to say, I feel the same way. And you can see him struggling to find something eloquent to say. It's like, you know, seeing two people who are getting married and, and one of the two has, has produced the most beautiful vows that you can imagine. And the other person has basically come up with, you know, what he's found in a book. You know, I mean, it, it's like that. He just, but, but there is still, because the acting is so good, you can still see in his face and his, the whole way he bears himself that the pain in it. So, so I think he's somewhere on that, on that spectrum. Um, that's, that's what I would say. At least that's the way he's playing it. Oh, I totally think so too. I, I, I noticed that. I noticed that too. And, and I think he's also, I think it's an interesting, it's a, it's a really nuanced portrayal. And I, I find it fascinating to me how he can, um, uh, I, I, it's the opening of uh, in the forest of the night when he's when he's talking to Maeve and and the sort of <laughs> the sort of way he he's just like go away go away go oh I have to I have to let you in and and then he's and then he and then he's just sort of pivots himself to actually rise to the occasion I, I like the fact that he's not. Uh, he, he is unpredictable and I and I like that quality about him and I think it's the quality it's born out of. I, I love David Tennant. David Tennant is is probably my favorite new series doctor, and and I love Matt Smith's performance. But really, he, Capaldi is the first actor since since Eccleston where we've had a heavyweight actor suddenly a heavyweight established actor suddenly come in and play this role, and it's just it's just marvelous. Every scene is great. You watch a story like Time Heist or Robots of Sherwood, which is which is probably would be forgettable under previous regimes, and it's something astounding because because Capaldi. He just puts everything into mm -hmm. every scene. He puts into he makes he makes the comedic scenes as as you know as forceful and as nuanced as he makes the the dramatic scenes. And I find that I find that tremendously fascinating. I would have hated the "this is my spoon" moment if it had been Matt Smith 
or mm. David Tennant. Yeah, Maybe possibly, even yeah. Eccleston, but Capaldi yeah. makes it work. I was going to say, I think, I mean, kind of going off of what everybody else has said, he's he's weirdly childish, which is a, a, not something that we've seen for a, a, a good long while. Like he's, um, if if Matt Smith looked young but was old, I feel like Capaldi's the exact opposite. Like he's so he's quick, he's he's short tempered, he's um, he's petty, he's jealous, he's he's all the things that you know a, a wise learned man or whatever you'd think wouldn't be but he's but that's kind of his charm is he is so he's so angry but not at this you know he clearly cares about clara too many c's in that um but it takes him such a long time to say something like like he doesn't know how to express himself he doesn't know how to you know he's he's all feeling he's not as much um intellect it's which is but it's all emotional stuff like he's still the doctor as far as getting stuff done he's still smart and everything but he's you know he's very proud of himself when he does something smart he doesn't particularly care that other people get killed right away you know eventually he does but um i think that he's he's just acting so and and it is i mean capaldi you need a good actor like that who can who can be all of those things out exteriorly but you can still see in his eyes that there's something there's there is a deeper deeper thing going on that's which is why i don't really understand the people who are just like vehemently against this doctor i don't like this doctor and continue to be that way i mean obviously that was the point at the beginning but the people who by the end of the series still don't like him they just you know i wouldn't want to spend time with him it's it's like are you even looking at his are you just are you just listening to what he's saying are you actually looking at his face when he says it i want to chime in here because i find it really interesting that two of you are are ready to leap to the notion that that the doc that 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 this incarnation of the doctor may be on the spectrum um, whereas I view him as yet another incarnation of an alternate view of socialized masculinity. Um, I, I, I'm one of those feminists, and I've got a pet theory about how the Doctor is, is often a, a, a counterculture figure in the sense of he's an alternate version of, of masculinity, particularly in the sense that he's con- he, he has a consistent track record of attempting to use intellect um, to beat his enemies as opposed to violence. He, he, he leaves the violence to his minions. He, he typically tries to, to not perform violent acts himself, although we will just skip over the blowing up Scarl several times thing. Um, what I find really interesting is that the way that I view Capaldi is not that he's on, he's on the spectrum necessarily. The way that I view him is as, as someone who is, has a lot of information about how men are socialized on our planet and, seems, and I'm painting with a very broad brush here, admittedly, seems to be struggling to frame the way that he feels in the context of what is supposed to be allowable masculinity. And you have as a foil Danny, who is, as a soldier, supposed to be one of the most typical, prototypical tropes of of strong masculinity, who who follows orders and is strong and, and is consistently trying to protect those people around him. He has the morals of a soldier. It's all about you will you will sleep safe tonight. I will sacrifice myself to make sure that happens. And that is a mode of masculinity that in Western culture is quite common. Um, so to see Capaldi's doctor struggle with that at the same time that he is dealing with Clara, who is... Um, she's not a femme fatale per se as a type, but she is very much struggling with the notion of being a woman who wants to be the doctor and is, is, is consistently finding herself acting more and more like the doctor. I find it really interesting because I don't, I don't view him as being necessarily on the spectrum in terms of, of, of trying to understand 
uh, other people's emotions. I see him as struggling to express them in a way that other people will be able to understand. But I think the emotions are all there. And I think that just because he's uncomfortable with the way that some humans express emotion doesn't mean he can't do it himself. Yeah, but I, I mean, I, I, I think you actually have a – I think you make a very – I, I, I actually don't have anything to add to what you're what you're saying. I guess my feeling though is that my my take off of him is that he's very awkward in the skin he's in. He's, he doesn't quite get how to make those connections. I, I think one of the, my favorite moments in Kill the Moon is when when Clara says, you know, he tries to do the the thing where he says, look, you know, I wanted to I wanted to you know to to empower you, and, and she says, do you hear music in your head? He said when you when you when you say that, and I thought to myself, well, yeah, he did when David Tennant said it, and when when, when Matt Smith said it, <laughs> there was rousing Murray Gold music, and it was. And it was and it was awesome, and everyone took it. And you know, he does it, and he, and he just doesn't. He falls flat. And I and I kind of feel that there's a certain kind of level of connections that's not there. Whether that's because he's not on the spectrum, or or on the spectrum, or not, or it's to do with 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 masculinity. Those are interesting points. I, I, that's just sort of where where I find fascinating about him. No question, though, that he's a character of deep feeling and deep emotion. So the oh, folks, absolutely. so the folks who the, the the folks who have been waiting for that alien doctor and describe and, and have described alien in terms of somebody who's just weird, man, and 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 and, and un, un understandable and just so far beyond us. No, we we know this guy. We know we know people like this guy. And uh, he he just happens to be really really smart, really really old, and. Have a really, really awesome companion. This is a segue because we don't want to let Very nice pivot. Nice for a living chip. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Balan. Um, uh, but we do need to move along because we don't want this to become a two-hour podcast. So uh, I, turn my, I turn my monocled eye over to Kyle Anderson, who proclaimed at the start of the season that – Clara Oswald was not just the best companion in the series since 2005, but was, in fact, the best companion, full stop. Did uh, I do that? I think you did. Well, I, I, I believe you did, actually, Kyle. I'm I, sh- I think I did. Yes. I, think, I was, I I think, was on a very big uh, Clara high when I, when I did my Series 7 rewatch. We can get so, the court stenographer to read off the internet if you'd like. Yes. <laughs> can we read that back, please? <laughs> I, I believe that there is a 140 character or less statement to that effect out there somewhere. Um, but Kyle, she went through a lot of changes in Series mm-hmm. 8. And I'm wondering if uh, you hold to that opinion and then we'll get everybody else to chime in about how they felt about uh, Clara Oswald as portrayed by Jenna Coleman and written by Stephen Moffat. Well, hyperbole aside, I think she's great. Um, she's and, – and in this season continued to be so. And people – Criticism that I heard, um, both in writing or you know comments on my articles or or just to me in general, were were that well she's they've she's not who she was she's she's acting differently and and my response is always yeah because that's how people are 
They're, <laughs> they react to different situations differently. Uh, she's got a completely different person. It takes her a whole episode to just even wrap her mind around the fact that this this person who not only looks different but acts and you know processes information differently is still the doctor. So she's got to just deal with that, and she thinks she knows what she is to him. She thinks she's the carer, um, and then going forward, she starts to really just become obsessed with the idea of traveling with the doctor. And and as much as she cares about Danny, she still loves it. And I was really not worried, but I was, I was, uh, I was concerned during the, you know, the middle portion of this series. It's like, are they going to, is she going to, you know, die tragically because of her obsession with, or, you know, addiction, I guess, to traveling with the doctor. And they did it a really interesting way, which is that the, the arc is not, for her to perish or whatever, at least, you know, not during the season, who knows what will happen at Christmas, but it's, it's to, it's to deal with the ramifications of being the doctor herself. Um, the doctor has to make the hard choices. They have to say goodbye to people. They have, you know, the doctor has to, has to be kind of above it, even if they're not. And, and also the doctor can't show when they're, when he's sad or when, you know, uh, and and that scene at the end in the diner it's both of them they're lying to each other but they're also hiding their true you know their true selves i guess they're what they're actually feeling uh from each other and i think clara last season could never have done that um or wouldn't have and you know she and matt smith just got along so well and everything was you know fun and happy but by making her um less you know on her on basically on her heels the whole series until she finally figures out, Oh, I'm the doctor, or this is what the doctor's like. That's when she's the most confident. And that's when it like, it's back to her being the way she was in series seven, when she was, you know, basically figuring out how to be. Uh, and, and I just thought she was fantastic and she brought so much depth to each of the, each of the performances. And, um, you buy, I bought that she was mad at him and wanted to leave. Uh, and I was also, uh, you know, thrilled, and kind of, uh, like I said, troubled that she w- was so eager to come back and delight Danny about it. So yeah, uh, she's great. That's the end period. I, I also bought the uh, scene that she dreamed in that volcano too. I could totally see her uh, oh, yeah. doing that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, she's she was that angry. She her 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 emotions were that raw at the moment. She would have done that. She would have sacrificed them even being able to walk inside the TARDIS again to even get out of that volcano because of what she believed in. And yeah, that's, that's, that's a character right there. Any dissenting voices on Clara Oswald? No, I'll, I'll give, I'm sorry to be boring, but I'll, I'll, give a, <laughs> I'll give a strongly assenting voice. I don't feel that I've ever known a companion as well as Clara. I, I really feel like I know her. I mean, and the reason I, I found Dark Water and Death and Heaven really, really emotional. I haven't found Doctor Who as emotional as this series for quite a while. And and I think part of that is that I just completely went on her journey with her. I mean I, I mean I I I love I, I love the fact that I was angry with her at the end of Kill the Moon. I was really, really angry with her and because it was somewhere where I was at the time. And at the same time too, I don't think I've seen such a wonderful evocation of, of what it is like when you are grieving someone's death and the complete absence of any rationality except I want that person back and I want them back now, whatever it takes. I found that profoundly moving. So I don't feel there's any companion ever, old series or new, that I know 
like I know Clara. So I'm kind of I'm with Kyle in this one. I have difficulty thinking of her as a as a companion. I almost feel like she's transcended the the the, the nature of the companion. I've, I, I'm almost mm-hmm. more comfortable calling her a co-star than a mm-hmm. companion. Mm-hmm. Well, they did give her top billing in the, in the final. <laughs> yeah, yes, they did. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's really interesting um, because um, the reason I think that Clara is such a well-developed companion character compared to many, many other companions is simply because she's so she's so completely flawed. She mm. is not necessarily mm. a good person all the time. She makes massive mistakes. She makes terrible choices. And then she has to figure out how to live with the consequences or not. Um, or how to skirt them, or how to lie her way out of them. But she is utterly human in a way that a lot of other companions have not had the opportunity to be. Now, that's in the classic series, that's a function of decisions that are made at the production level about what the role of a companion is to be, which is mostly twisting your ankle saying, what, what now, Doctor? <laughs> and, and essentially being a cipher audience insertion character. That was the way those roles were written at the time. With some classic series companions like, say, Ace or Tegan or Sarah Jane Smith, you do get some depth because the actresses attempt to bring more. And especially with the Ace arc, there's an attempt by the production team to actually create a character arc for that character, you know, for the first time in the series in a way that hadn't really been done before. With new series... What we have with the Russell T. Davis companions really are sort of archetypes to begin with, um, mm-hmm. which isn't necessarily a bad thing. They're, they're perfectly serviceable characters. They, they, you know, I am a Russell T. Davis fangirl, and I am not going to deny that. And, and I, I am someone who I, I engage with these stories on the basis of the characters. I don't care if the plots make sense. I am not someone who gets upset about the science. I am not someone who gets upset about the plot, as long as the emotions feel real to me. The, the beautiful thing about Clara is that she has it all. The emotions feel absolutely mm-hmm. true, including all of the deeply human mistakes that she makes and the fact that she's really, really bad at relationships. Like, the fact that she <laughs> is so bad at having a relationship with Danny um, is, is – and that this is a difficult thing for both of them and that they are struggling with that. To me, that is what part of what makes it feel so real. Um, and what moves her beyond an archetype. And I think that's really what happened with Clara this season, is that she moved from being the season ar- seven archetype of the impossible girl who saves the doctor and does all these things and always has the, the, the correct mot juste for the, per- for the perfect moment to quip what needs quipping. Uh, frequently derided as a Mary Sue back then. Yes, frequently derided as a Mary Sue, often um, referred to as a cipher. I have referred to her as a cipher on occasion personally because I didn't find her as well developed in season seven. Um, I, all season eight, it was like it was as if they they just complete. They said, "Okay, we need to fix this," and they completely rewrote the character. And I'm completely okay with that. They did a fantastic job giving Jenna Coleman as an actress so much more to work with, and she totally stepped up to the plate and turned in a performance opposite Capaldi that was just transcendent. I feel like it's my job to just sort of follow uh, Lynn and just sort of politely dissent. Um, so uh, <laughs> I, I, there, there are worse job descriptions in the world, I suppose. I, I'm, I'm going to just do something genuinely controversial, and you can probably even build this in your episode, Chip. I'm pro-season <laughs> seven Clara. I actually mm-hmm. think that she's not a cipher. I actually think that what's – I think that, yes, the impossible girl thing was a trope 
but it's mapped on to what is actually some a character with some really exceptionally great moments. Uh, the Rings of Akaton is wonderful. Yes, there is the Doctor creepily stalking her and doing all the the mystery stuff. But actually, Clara's function in that story is fantastic. Her whole bit where she's having to give up the leaf that's that that mm-hmm. is her only tie with her dead mom is really genuinely heartbreaking. Um, I think in Cold War is about her is about her coming to terms with the fact this is some scary stuff she's got to deal with and day of the doctor she gets she gets she gets the she gets to change the mind of the character to to mm-hmm. to, to, to to actually you know change his 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 own history i think i think clara's got a lot going for her already and i think i think she comes into the season with them trying to and i think they've they've taken off the baggage and so they can actually make her a character and taken away the trope but i think the, the building blocks are already there we just got to see it and the other thing we got to see in that equation is jenna coleman as an actress I think uh I think I think Matt Smith is a wonderful actor, but I think I think Peter Capaldi obviously gave her a lot more sort of go do, and suddenly you realize, oh my God, she's a first rate actress. She's she's she could win an Oscar in five years. Mm-hmm. She could mm-hmm. she she will be in major motion pictures. She will be in major television shows. This is actually she is actually a heavyweight actress, and I think that is for me the the real thing about it. And the last thing about Clara, Clara that I wanted to just say is that that's made her so stunning to me, and it, it actually goes back on what Lynn said actually and where i'm actually agreeing with lynn is is uh is that yeah she's she is 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 that all her relationships have co- these consequences to it and and all the emotional stuff have real consequences you know her relationship with the doctor has this explosive consequence at the end of kill the moon and into mummy on the orient express and then that creates consequences with her relationship with danny i love the fact that that it that it, it looks at a character in terms of the consequences of their relationships and that is a really and i think that's why she seems so different i think to many companions we've had companions we've had companions with relationships but we've had we've never seen it with the kind of crashing kind of consequences except for maybe brief glimpses like boomtown or something like that i'd like to then briefly touch on um the the one relationship that you just mentioned uh the relationship between uh clara and danny but let's just take a few minutes on that because i've got a really big controversial and entitled question to ask everybody that we'll take some time with after that. Uh, On Verity Podcast, Lynn, you have had some strong opinions and strong counter opinions have been shared about uh, Danny Pink and Clara Oswald. And now that the season's over, um, how about that? How about that character arc? And what did it say about Danny? And did it have the ring of truth to it? I think that the arc for Danny felt very true. Um, I think that what you got with Danny was someone who also struggled every day with answering the question of whether he was a good man. Um, but he doesn't have a time a time traveling box, and he doesn't have super intelligence. All he has is a classroom full of kids that are the same age as the kid that he was forced to kill as a soldier. Um, and he has to ask himself every single day, "Am I?" doing things that make up for the horrible thing that I did in wartime. Um, I, I think that Danny is fascinating. Um, and, and I still hold fast that I don't think Danny was a bad boyfriend. I just think that Danny was a boyfriend who um, approached relationships in a very different way than Clara was used to. And 
the 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 tragedy of their relationship is that as they were they were still in the phase where they were sorting it out and trying to figure out how to function as a couple the doctor keeps intervening and the and clara keeps hosing things up too and so their relationship the feelings and the emotions are all there between them but the how you rub together as people over the long term part never got to be sorted out because danny got turned into a cyberman before they got a chance um and so you know i danny's arc is heartbreaking it really is because he he's he's every single day attempting to be the version of what a good man is in his head. Like he's got this very distinct notion of what masculinity looks like. It's specifically tied to his, his um, experiences as a soldier who was not an officer. Um, you know, it's, it's about protecting the people that you love. The, the, the line about you will sleep safe tonight just broke me. It absolutely broke me um, because you know, I don't think of that as being as Danny being overbearing. I think of that as Danny being deeply committed to the people that he cares about. And I don't know if that's just a function of I've had a lot of soldiers in and out of my life familially or or what. But I, I felt like I got Danny. I, I felt like I, I understood where he was coming from. And watching him go through this entire relationship with Clara and deal with the experience of the doctor and being the only person who as a typical human looks around and says, no, what we need to do is actually evacuate the children from the school first. (laughs) Rule one, get the kids out. He's the, he's the person who actually thinks about the collateral damage in the same way that Rory did, but he has the experience of being a soldier and, and of having done it wrong. You know, Rory as a nurse, we don't see Rory's trauma as a nurse who loses patients. We see Rory consistently being able to help people. What we see in Danny is that he lo- he lost. He lost big time, which is why he makes and, – and, and because of that, that single incident that shaped him as a person, every single choice he makes after that makes complete sense to me. Uh, it's, it's a heartbreaking arc, but it's brilliant drama. I think it's think it's interesting, and and it's and it's just in that moment when Lynn was talking that I suddenly realized something is that this is a guy who actually has, um, who actually unlike the doctor, sort of lives with the consequences of his actions. You know, mm-hmm. he killed a child, and he goes and teaches at a school every day, um, <laughs> yeah. uh, which which is which is which is just heartbreaking and staggering when you think about that. You know, the doctor gets to fly off in his blue box whenever he wants. Um, you know, Clara even gets to sort of skate around things when she, when she, when she wants to conveniently, he sticks, he sticks with it. And I think that's, I think that's, 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 a, that's an aspect of him that, that now that I think about it, I find really haunting. Any closing thoughts on, uh, Clara and Danny from Kyle or Mark? Well, I, I just want to throw one thing in is that I, I liked the Danny character, but, but I, I would have liked a little bit more three-dimensional stuff. If, for example, he comes across basically because of the context we're seeing him in as really rather intense. And there's something rather kind of something you really struggle with when you're seeing a character that is that intense. Do we ever see him really cracking a joke? And in that that kind of that, that meal um, in Listen, it's tortuous watching it. You know, and when I'm watching it, I'm the entire time with Clara. I'm associating with Clara. And I'm wondering, stop being so intense, as I, was my feeling. And in the end, of course, that rather works. But I didn't, I didn't feel, I don't know. The other, my other slight issue with him is 
I don't like seeing him standing there in the graveyard for how long was that scene? 10, 15 minutes? With, <laughs> with this, with the, and and it look, I, th- I think it looked daft with Clara kind of hugging him in that silly way. And, and the longer you see his face in that, in the cyber suit, the, the less convincing the makeup becomes. So it, to me, it's, it's, it's Spider-Man with his mask off as well. I, I don't really sort of want that. So I, I kind of balk a little bit at everyone saying it's this, this kind of very moving ending. I, I just I, I leave the the, the my, my emotional resonance there. I, I don't know. I just I leave it behind when I see him looking rather stupid in that suit. I didn't really do it for me. I must say. I think that was probably the big hang-up that uh, people had with the Brigadier moment at the end. Not so much it, it made logical sense in the context of the story, but in the end, you're looking at the Brigadier in a Cyberman suit. There's that, <laughs> there's that disconnect See? between how yeah. the story plays out and then the the evidence of your eyes. That was the moment that broke me. The Brigadier. I I would I I, I, wow. I, cr- I ugly cried. Like it wasn't wow. just crying; it was sobbing. Wow. I was sitting with Deb Stanish. I couldn't cry. It was. It was I, I felt. I felt like. I felt like. I, I felt. I felt very intimidated. But yes. Um, well, it's it's also, otherwise, you know, would have. It's I also just... the brigadier saving the doctor's bacon again because it's the brigadier who killed the master. <laughs> True. I hated it. I mean, my my wife was sitting next to me. She goes, "Oh, please don't, please don't salute him." Oh, there we go. She he's saluted him. You know, I, I don't know. It, it's it's fascinating to me hearing people loving that scene. Kind of reassuring in a way because it was the one thing I really disliked about. I just thought that is absolutely ludicrous. Nearly, I nearly fell out with the episode at that point. So it's wonderful. <laughs> thing that people love it. This is fantastic. You know, with with fifty one years of Doctor Who, this show has become the perfect Rorschach test. It tells you more about. <laughs> it, 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 it sometimes tells you more about the person watching it than about the show itself. I'm, I, I I firmly believe that, which I'll probably uh, lead into when I give a certain response to a certain essay on notional Who. <laughs> on a certain uh, reality bond podcast. Well, I look forward to that very, very soon. Yes. Um, last thing I have to ask, because we've been going for a while, but I have a really big question that I want to ask, and um, and I'm going to throw it over to Kyle because uh, you've been quiet for a little bit, um, and everybody else can jump in. We're all fans here. Um, fans speculate. Fans have preferences, but that doesn't mean that we're honest to God entitled that we're going to burn uh, the BBC down if they don't do what we want. But three questions about the future of Doctor Who. What would you like to see in uh, Doctor Who Series 9? What do you think we'll see? And then um, if you're you're feeling bold, what do you think the show needs to accomplish, um, either from a creative standpoint or from a popular culture, uh, BBC product kind of standpoint, you know, what do you want? What do you think you'll get? And what do you think the show should do, which may be different from those three? Um, let's start with Kyle and let's sort of, uh, toss it around a bit. Okay. Well, um, what I would like to see, I think would be cool is a series where the doctor just kind of goes around the universe looking for Gallifrey. Um, that was sort of, some some people have uh, you know thought about that for a while, but this it could be kind of a I don't know what like sort of like key to time a little bit, but like but he's just going different places, um, not necessarily tied to anywhere. Kind of just you know he's highway to heavening it. That'd be kind of cool. I mean that's what he does anyway. But like but he's got like a, a plan where he's he's he thinks he's going somewhere. He doesn't find it. Maybe find some clues that might be kind of cool. 
something something of that nature would be would be interesting um uh, what was the middle the middle question what do you think what, you'll get what, what do i think i'll get i don't i don't think we'll get exactly that i think it'll at the at the most we'll probably get an idea of where gallifrey is by the end of the series i, I feel like you can't leave the this the series the way it did with the doctor f- thinking the master was telling the truth and uh finding out that of course she was lying of course why wouldn't she lie um and uh, and being angry about that and and if Michelle Gomez's comments that she will be back next season are correct i feel like that's going to come to uh come to a head but i i don't think it'll be quite the the quest thing that i'm i'm sort of hoping we get um and then what i think the series needs to do is now that the doctor's figured out who he is more or less i think that next series they have to keep him more or less consistent with that he can he can grow and change as far as that's concerned but he can't be as erratic as he was this series because they've resolved that um and and if they just go back to making him like you know horrible some days and not other days like you know they have to reel it in and make him make his these personality traits that we've we've uh seen this whole series part of him as this newfound idiot idiot with a box like he says at the end of the episode Mark, resident alien Goodacre. <laughs> I I suppose personally I I would like to see the series becoming just a bit less self-conscious. I actually rather like, you know, the self-referentiality and everything, but we've recently gone through the 50th. We're still referencing it's still referencing itself a lot. I, I would like just to see it being a little bit less self-conscious. It, it worries me that Moffat has just just that inclination all the time to to, to kind of make make it all about the Doctor, make it all about his character. And I, I quite like the way we went with "Am I a good man?" But I was a bit bothered about the question in the first place because to me there is absolutely no question. That he's a good man. Of course, he's a good man. I mean, you know, next question. I mean, I, I, that bothered me. That did. It resolved itself. Okay, I was fine. But I don't really want. You know, we've already had Doctor Who, Doctor Who, all the way through. You know, uh, um, last year. So, so I, I hope we get a bit less self-conscious. And, and I suppose related to that, in the sense of what the show actually needs, I kind of think that Moffat could do with a stronger critic. I mean, I'm a big fan of Moffat's writing and I think the show is absolutely wonderful. But I think he needs someone sometimes to say, Stephen, I just don't think that works. I mean, I know... Does he need someone to tell him to stop? I think so. I think some, yeah, I mean, look, I mean, it happens with with all dictators, with all people that get sort of massive egos, that they go through a phase in their life where they just surround themselves with yes men and yes women. And I just think he needs someone who can be really critical and just say, look, this dressing the brigadier up in a sad man outfit is not a good idea, Stephen. I don't think that'll be Lynn who will be saying that. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, what? And and last question, Mark. Uh, what do you think we're going to get next year? Well, I don't know. I hope we just get a surprise again because I couldn't have predicted this season, and that's wonderful. That's what I want. I, you know, I'm not. A, I'm not. A, I mean, I write boring nonfiction books, but I'm not a writer of fiction. So I want, um, you know, to be utterly and completely surprised. And and this this season did it for me. So if you can do it again, great. But it won't be by doing the same thing as we've had in series eight. Over to you, Lynn. Well, um, in terms of things I'd like to see, 
I'm a sucker for a good historical. I always have been. Um, and we don't, we haven't seen a whole lot of them, which is kind of a shame because it's something that the BBC in particular mm-hmm. are very good at, even when they have less budget. Um, because every designer at the BBC just knows how to, you know, make things look more expensive than they are when it's a historical. Um, so if I were queen of the world, um, Dear Mr. Moffat, I want my Jane Austen episode. Darn it. <laughs> oh, yes, please. Oh, man. I have been yes, pushing. For, I, I, this was what I said last year. I still <laughs> haven't gotten it. I want my Jane Austen episode. Um, if if not Jane Austen, Mary Shelley is an acceptable substitute. I know it's been done in audio, but I want it on video. <laughs> um, so so that's that's my that's my entitled fandom speaking is give me my Jane Austen episode. <laughs> um, what I think will happen, I haven't a clue. I couldn't have predicted this season. I have given up trying to predict Doctor Who, particularly when Stephen Moffat is under Deb Standish's bed. Um, <laughs> I, I, the, the twists and turns that that have happened in these seasons, I, I, I'm, I'm one of those people that never tries to solve the mystery when I'm watching a mystery television show. I just go for the ride, and then I see how, how wonderfully tidy everything was tied up, and I say, oh, brilliant, that was great. And I don't I don't sit there and try to figure it out because I will just hurt myself. So um, I'm happier. I'm happier going for the ride and, and I judge it whether whether it, it becomes what it purported to be and whether the ride itself felt true. Um, not on whether I can solve the mystery before the main character who's, you know, Sherlockian doing it. Um, the other thing I'd like to see uh, again, this is not new, uh, is additional female writers on the show. Um, and I know this here, here. has been addressed yeah. a little yeah. bit mm-hmm. in the media. Yes. I know that there are quotes from Neil Gaiman blog posts that have gone by recently again, where apparently Mr. Moffat is indeed asking and he's just not finding um, a talent pool that has a schedule that matches up with his needs or something along those lines. I continue to hope that he tries harder um, and and finds additional women um, because I... I know there are women on the production team. I'm very pleased that we had a woman director for the finale who I thought did a fantastic job. Yeah, I still want. I still would like women writers, particularly if, as I suspect, now that we've been primed with a female master, we may, in the next, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, in the next five years, should the series survive, um, and keep making money for the BBC for BBC worldwide. Um, I suspect we will finally get our female doctor, probably at about the point when they decide that it won't matter anymore because they're going to end the series in a year and then <laughs> forever for having killed the series. But um, I think I think I think you're very optimistic. There. I am. I am. Fifty-one years and 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 people are still arguing that it can't possibly be. The doctor can change height. The doctor can change accent. The doctor can change hair color, nationality. Um, skin tone, pretty much anything um, that the doctor needs to when regenerating. I really don't see why we can't have an actress playing the doctor as opposed to an actor. And I probably missed the third question completely. Sorry. That's okay. It was going to be what you were expecting. What I'm expecting is... I have no idea. Right. So What I'm expecting is another fantastic season of Doctor Who because that is the level of quality I expect from this show. Gosh darn it. And Graham, I think you'll be bringing us home on this one. Okay, well, here we go. Um, What do I want? Well, more of the same, honestly. Um, I think this past season had a hit rate that was incredible for this thing. I don't think I would rate a story below 
a six or seven out of ten, which is fantastic, which is incredible. Uh, every story, half the most of the stories were beautifully directed. Even it was controversial, but compellingly so. I think you know it wasn't controversial in an ugly way. It was con- it was genuinely controversial in a way that brought people to, and brought people talking and arguing in interesting ways. It was about something. It was about something. So yeah, what do I want? I want more of the same. What do I hope we get? More of the same. Because frankly, I think we got to take what we got this season and consolidate it and make it better. Uh, and what should we get? I hope more of the same. That's <laughs> Graham, you are a consistent man. Thank you. Uh, any parting thoughts about the state of Doctor Who as it is right now and um, how you feel as a Doctor Who fan now that you've been through Series 8? Um, has, it changed your, has it changed your perspective on Doctor Who or has, has it changed the level of your fandom um, in any way? I went from caring less to caring a lot more. At one point on Verity of the Season, I was like, bring it, Moffat, and, and I'm, I'm back. I, th- I think that my level has kind of remained the same. Uh, I kind of just go with whatever happens, even if I'm not particularly pleased with an episode or whatever. I'm sort of on an even keel, which is why I'm always so so baffled when, when some people take so much against something. You know, the, the small subgroups like we were talking about earlier, like, it's like really it's just it's just doctor who you guys um but but it's still great so i'm i'm still still where i was yeah i mean i'm just so relieved because uh you know mid-season i thought oh my goodness this is it this is this is going to be the moment where i depart from the show that i love (laughs) and then and then i come back so i'm just i just still feel this sense of great relief i'm still on board i'm still on board and i'm still loving it you know my favorite thing that happened to me this season was uh, what wasn't a really favorite thing that happened to me, but I had a kidney infection while I was at New York Comic Con, and I had to be hospitalized in in Newark, New Jersey. And uh, and uh, Deb Stanish came to visit me on my last day in the hospital, and uh, and and she drove me back back to the airport. But she uh, but while I was at the hospital, she uh, she brought her laptop, and I was able to watch Mummy on the Orient Express, and I was able to watch that wonderful scene with uh, Clara, just sort of leaning back with a doctor and reflecting on her time when she actually genuinely thinks. She's going to break up, and I'm thinking, "Wow, I'm seeing something so beautiful and perfect." And mm-hmm. and 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 you know, my friend is doing. My friend brought this for me, and this is so wonderful. And frankly, if a show can bring together friends like that, and if a show can bring me episodes like that, keep on doing it. That's all I can say. I am thrilled that the four of you came on to Two MTL on this uh, time dilation episode to uh, talk about the season that we just had. I have no idea what to expect out of Christmas other than Nick Frost as Santa. Uh, and I believe that is exactly the way Stephen Moffat wants it. And I'm looking forward to that. And it's only just a few weeks away before the great drought. Um, mm. Mark Goodacre, host of the NT pod when he makes it host of a, and, and contributor to a future episode of two MTL on the subject of Canon. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's on its way, Chip. <laughs> promises, promises. <laughs> Lynn Thomas, uncanny editor, a Verity contributor, and uh, just all-around busy person. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure, Chip. Thanks for having me. Kyle, it has been a pleasure being on the same page with you for much, most of the season. Uh, this, this Internet year. fist bump. Internet fist bump, <laughs> absolutely. 
and likewise, Graham, um, we we have had we have had our disagreements about the season that I don't think were really disagreements this year, but it's been a pl- it's been a pleasure jousting with you a little bit. It has been, and my thumbs are up right now. Awesome. Uh, thank you all so much for joining me on, on Two Minute Time Lord. You can find out what my guests are up to in the show notes, which you will find as usual at TWOMinuteTimeLord.com. I'm on social media, numeral Two Minute Time Lord. And these guys who are on the podcast with me have heard me say this over and over again. But I will talk to you again real soon. <laughs> <laughs>